0: Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese, and I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and today we have an episode for you about sardines, and it is a vast one. Yes, yes, uh, vast and multitudinous, like a school of sardines. Indeed. <laughs> uh, any particular reason this one was on your mind? Uh, well, I, I was, I was thinking about types of topics that we hadn't done in a second and I was like, can we do weird seafood? (laughs) And then I was like, we're in charge of this. We can do whatever we want. And uh, then I was thinking about like, like fish that are uh, good and fresh in the summer. And I, my brain was just like sardines. Uh, And I started looking into it and I was like, yeah, there's, there's like a lot here.
1: There is and, and that's what we were discussing before we started to record is I thought, okay, yeah, sardines, uh sure. Okay. But I didn't think <laughs> there would be that much on
2: them research wise and, yeah. and just
1: at all really, and I was wrong. That, I was proven yeah. incorrect. That- oh. <laughs> oh was I proven incorrect. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. We could, um, as it turns out, uh, the, the word sardines covers a lot of territory. And mm-hmm. uh, we could talk about specific uh, types of sardines or specific areas of catching of sardines um, in a number of different episodes. Yes. Yes.
1: Because I I tried to go down like, I know they're big in Norway. Let me look into that. I know they're big here and here and here and i think just the search terms weren't providing what i needed but also mm. i suspect whole other episode
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but yeah. uh, we are going to mention plenty of those. I just, I just feel like there's uncovered history that I missed.
0: <sighs> oh, oh, I hate mm-hmm. that. Okay, well, that's that's all right. You know, we can we can give an overview today, and then we yes. can specify in later episodes. Yes, and you listeners are great at
1: at pointing out pointing us in the right direction. So yeah. we are counting on you. Um, I don't have too many. I don't have too much experience with sardines. I don't think. I, the first thing I thought of because I'm a child is Spongebob because there's sort of a running joke in Spongebob. Huh. Okay. Um, but I did recently purchase some, even before this, uh, for some filling for onigiri in my ongoing quest oh, yeah. to make onigiri. So I guess I can report back. I'm very excited. Very excited.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I also do not have a great deal of sardine experience. Uh, I think mostly as a like a like a tapas or meze kind Mm -hmm. of kind of plate um, in various like tomato based preparations Uh, Mm. and I've always quite enjoyed them like that Uh, yeah but yeah I oh I need I would like more experience now please I would like to go to the Mediterranean (laughs) (laughs) and eat a, a large number of grilled sardines Sounds in different, like in different ways. business
1: right off to me. <laughs> 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 I have had them fried once and they were very good. Ooh. Just like mm, straight up fried. Oh, I bet. Oh, mm. no. Okay. All right. Yep. yep. Uh, you can see our anchovy episode mm-hmm. uh, for some similar information.
0: Tuna is pretty involved in this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And canning.
1: Also yeah. pretty key.
0: Sure. Yeah. Also, right. Other other uh, marine fishery episodes. <laughs> um, big uh-huh. big fish industry. Um, one of our yeah. Hawaii episodes. Uh, yeah. Cod always great. Hmm.
1: I haven't shown you this, Lauren, but uh, as we've mentioned, we recently moved out of our office, and I found the poster.
0: Oh, The huge yeah. poster we got
1: with the different types of fish.
0: Yeah, that Brooks gave us
1: Mm-hmm. from that Hawaii episode, uh, and I have it's right at my feet. I'll show you after.
0: But. Oh, I remember that's a good poster.
1: It is. That's why I was like, I can't leave this. I don't know yeah. where I'll put it in my apartment, but it, even
0: it, though, right? It's a large. It's like it's like as large as either of us, and yes. we <laughs> proceeded to bring it like to Maui and then back to Oahu and then yes. back to the you know continental United States. Yes, It was a process. It was. It made it on many flights. <laughs> Not a worthwhile poster.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, well, um, in the meantime, before I show you this glorious poster again, Lauren, I guess that brings <laughs> us to our question. Mm-hmm. Sardines. What are they?
0: Well, um. Okay, Uh, as as we've said, the word sardine can technically refer to a number of similar fish, depending on who's defining it. Um, But what you're generally looking at is a small, oily fish that lives in these huge schools in the pelagic zone of the ocean, like off the shore, but not like down in the deeps. Yeah. Um, And in addition to being eaten, uh, fresh cooked are frequently preserved by being pickled, uh, smoked, salt cured and or canned. Uh, they're small enough that they are often eaten with the bones and skin still attached because they're like a little bit chewy but not inedible that way. Um, they are fairly dense fleshed and uh, kind of strong in flavor, like a savory and earthy, or what do you call it oceany at that point? um uh, and like fishy, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess makes sense for a fish, but not all fish are fishy. Um but yeah, they're like, um, they're like a little pocket fish. Are like, they're like you crammed an entire hamachi into like a six-inch package. Um, they're they're fun-sized. <laughs> Make them sound so cute. <laughs> I, I was looking at pictures and I was literally talking to my screen like, oh, you, look at the little buddy. like <laughs> <laughs> oh, You little guy. <laughs> I, I, I do. Again, I keep an aquarium at home. I have fish in this aquarium now. Oh, um, some uh-huh. corridors, which are also very cute. And so I just I just really appreciate fish anyway. <laughs> uh <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. huh. Yeah. They are members of the Clupeidae or herring, family. Uh, ecologically and commercially, they are similar enough to herring and anchovies. that The three groups are often grouped together for, like, reporting larger trends. And in some cases, there have been disagreements over what should be called a herring versus a sardine versus a, a pilchard, which is also intertwined here. Um, that's above my head. I wouldn't dare. At any rate, yes, uh, national laws do dictate what may be classified as a sardine, and the term gets applied to at least 20 recognized species across at least five genuses. Mm. hmm <laughs> This is part of the problem here. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, so, right, I cannot, like, precisely describe what a sardine looks like because it varies but in general you are looking at a fish that'll grow to about five to 15 inches long that's about 15 to 40 centimeters with a fairly tiny uh, ray type fins that is spined fins they're silvery in color often with some blue or green along their backs and uh shaped like like sleek little submarines like long pointed ovals yeah uh, and this is a safety in numbers kind of fish, relatively low on the food chain. Like, they eat plankton and other microorganisms, um, and they are a type of forage fish, uh, so-called because, I think, because a number of larger fish and birds and marine mammals just sort of go up to a school and, like, pick off little clumps of them, the way that a cow forages on grass. Oh. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. Ooh. Nature. (laughs) Or maybe because they forage on the plankton. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Now, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. (laughs) Onwards. (laughs) At any rate, I'm oversimplifying um, this this, uh, ecological system. Um, It's a lot more complicated than that and in really cool ways. Um, Schools of sardines will spawn tens or hundreds of thousands of eggs a year and um, often migrate throughout the year. And they move in these big, beautiful, shimmery masses that actually make them invisible from certain angles because their silvery sides scatter the sun that's filtering down from above in these little patterns that just look like a mirage. Um, They are fairly easy to catch, though, um, and without a lot of bycatch in most situations because you just kind of, like, find a shoal and then scoop some up with, like, an appropriately sized net, and then you have a bunch of sardines. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean... I love the mirage aspect. That's really cool. But then the net comes yeah. in, and yeah, you're just like, boop. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sardines. Straight booping. Yep. Mm hmm. Uh, they are eaten fresh in places where they're caught, um, grilled or steamed or baked into pies or however people consume fish. Uh, because they're small, they are often like a snack or appetizer or, or bar food sort of deal, like I was saying, yeah. Um, they're also quite often preserved, right, uh, smoked, salt-cured, pickled, and or packed in um, oil or water or tomato sauce and canned. Which brings out a sort of chewy or like toothsome quality in the flesh, and like concentrates the flavor a little bit. Uh, they are frequently prepared skin on and bones in, which adds texture and often gives you this like this like burst of flavor when you bite through the skin. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so nice! Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm so mad that I'm not on a trip to a fishing coast right now. Right? Oh my oh. gosh. <laughs> Huh. Um, they are also processed in a number of other ways, uh, dried or um, mealed and, and flaked or uh, pressed for oil. The sardine meal is also used as an animal feed, and the oil is also used in industrial applications like uh, like paint and surfacing, like linoleum. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what about the nutrition?
0: Yeah, Speaking not about linoleum anymore, um, uh, it it depends on how you prepare them, of course. Uh, But sardines are high in protein and low in carbs with some good fats and a bunch of vitamins and minerals. The bones and skin are particular boosters here. Uh, If you're getting them canned, I'd say look for types that are packed in water or tomato instead of in oil uh, because oil is going to really condense your calorie content there. But yeah, pretty good for you. And because they are low on the food chain, they are lower in mercury than bigger fish, though they are still susceptible to other oceanic toxins like microplastics and pesticides. So I don't know. (laughs) Yes. Do your research. Uh, Yeah. If I I don't, it's very complicated. It is. It is.
1: Well, okay. Uh, We do have some numbers for you.
0: We do. As of 2016, the the larger forage species group of herring and anchovies and sardines made up over 18% of global marine fishing production. Um, That was about 15.3 million tons of fish. And that's like way down from what it's been previously, earlier in the 2000s, it was as much as like 30 to 40 percent of global marine fishing production. Wow. Like <laughs> like either way, a really major part of the fishing industry. Just one genus of sardines, um, sardinella, uh, caught in tropical and subtropical regions, was the fourth largest contributor to global marine fishing production uh, as of 2016. Dang. Lots of sardines, lots of sardines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, low price canned
1: sardines from Morocco, Poland, and Thailand to make up a big part of that market. Um, but a lot of a lot of sources I found kind of separated it out because in places like France, they are viewed as more of a luxury item. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Some people collect vintage sardine cans, and you can uh, go find places or people ah. are, like marketplaces and stuff. It's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> oh, if anyone does this, you have to write in. You do, you
1: do. Yes. Um, there's a Maine Coast Sardine History Museum in Jonesport, Maine, and I looked it up and checked. It's still open, and it looks super cute. It looks with in the best way like a shack. On the side of the road, (laughs) Um, and this is from like a picture. It was on their website, but from one picture, so I don't know. But uh, if anyone's been there, please let us know. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. There's also a canning, a canning museum in Norway that's not specifically about sardines, but it has a lot to do with sardines. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you've been there, let us know. Oh, and here's another thing, listeners. I've got to know more. Okay. So, in some parts of the world, sardines are quite beloved. Uh, in Lisbon, for instance, the Lisbon sardine is viewed as the city's unofficial official fish. <laughs> they are featured in art and are a common souvenir for tourists. During the Festival of St. Anthony in June, festival goers can sample fresh grilled sardines. Apparently, like, hundreds of people are just grilling them, and you can sample them. Um, oh. And also, apparently, the story goes that St. Anthony encountered trouble converting people, so he decided to practice his sermons on sardines. Ah!
0: Yeah!
1: (laughs) And they listened, so St. Anthony was like, okay, I'm good. His confidence was boosted. Listeners, you've got to write in about this.
0: Empowered by the sardines. Empowered by the sardines.
1: I also read It's a Big Day for Weddings? Yeah, I think Weddings. Um so again cool provide more information please June is sardine season in Portugal so it is the best time to find fresh sardines there and yes I desperately desperately want to try grilled sardines oh
0: right <sighs>
1: one day lauren one day
0: okay okay mm-hmm. <laughs> but not
1: today this day we must talk about history.
0: <laughs> yes, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought
1: to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone.
0: Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion,
1: so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com. Could just
4: be me. Amy Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R under 17, not a minute without parent, only in
1: theaters, May 17th. And hey, we're back, thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So normally <laughs> I would do a whole history of the fish in question. But the fish in question, when it comes to sardines, yes, could refer to a handful of things. And that is an issue that, as we mentioned, Continues to cause problems to this day, and we're going to get into that even more in this yeah. history bit, like like legal disputes. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And on top of that, all of these types of fish that are sometimes called sardines, uh, their history split off in a way that gave me a headache. Um, and would have made this a twelve part <laughs>
0: series, but I think it's safe to say that they're old. Yes, y- yes. Um, the herring family in general, uh, dates back. Uh, has been biologically about what, where they are for, for about 60 million years or so. So old, yeah. So, so yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, we do know ancient Romans discovered healthy populations of sardines along the coast and that they enjoyed them so much they became something of a staple for a time. The word sardine in this context first appeared in the 15th century.
0: In English. Uh-huh, yeah. In
1: English. And a lot of people think it's because of a lot of sardines came from Sardinia, but that's never actually been proven. But
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: The phrase packed like sardines first appeared in 1845. And I've never heard of this game, but apparently there's a game... Um, called Pacts Like Sardines." I think it was first recorded in 1924.
0: Yeah, or just Sardines." I think. Yeah, I, I something is is digging a bell way in the back of my like like yeah. Ohio Pennsylvania upbringing. Um, yeah, but it's it's just it's just a bell, and the bell is marked "Moo." So
1: <laughs> I read it, and it doesn't make sense to me. From what I read, it's a kid. Hi- one person hides. And then whoever finds them first gets next to them, and then so on and so forth. And oh. then the last kid is the first one to hide the next time.
0: Yes, that's totally it. And that's why it's called sardines, because Act you like yeah, sardines. it's a it's a variation on hide and go seek. That's totally it. Oh man, yeah. Um right. The where... bell. <laughs> <laughs> it's clarified. <laughs> right, totally, yeah. And so like so like if you're the first kid hiding, like it behooves you to find a place that like a lot of people could pack into Uh but is still you know hidden which is like a difficult a difficult ask okay okay that makes more sense (laughs) because otherwise because like like the point of the game is to like is to like be hidden for as long as possible Mm -hmm. and you know but if like kids start like like sticking out in various ways then you're gonna get found easier
1: Okay, that makes sense, because to me it sounded like you wanted to be found as quickly as possible, (laughs) so I was like, why not
0: just hide in the open? (laughs) No, 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 opposite, opposite. Got it.
1: Okay. All right. Um... (laughs) Over, now that we've solved that mystery, (laughs) over on the eastern coastline of North America, the sardine fish in question, the Atlantic herring, has long been fished by indigenous peoples in the area using poles and nets. After the Europeans arrived, this eventually gave way to boats called sardine haulers and then purse signing. And that's, um, we've talked about that before, but fishing with purse-like nets. That could also be its own episode, so that's very condensed. but Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. With the invention of canning in the early 1800s, Europeans with access to water quickly started canning fish, including the sardine. France first packed sardines in Nantes, France, in 1834. When France's sardine canning industry suffered during the 18th century, they turned to Portugal. And by 1912, that country was the largest global exporter of canned fish. 400 canneries were operating across Portugal during their peak in 1925. Britain had a large fish canning industry during this time, too, as did Norway. I know listeners from those places are probably like, how dare you put us in one sentence? (laughs) I'm telling you, future episodes, it was too much. (laughs) Oh. Speaking of future episodes, according to some sources I found, French colonialism made sardines popular in what is now Malaysia. Particularly, a brand of sardines in tomato sauce called Ayam Brand that got started by a French colonist in Malaysia named Alfred Cluet, um, and he decided to focus on canning and preserving. He had a whole other thing going on, but he turned he turned to this, um, and he included sardines in that, which were seasonally abundant in Malaysia. He started canning them in 1899. In the beginning, these cans symbolized colonialism and status, in part because they were hard to find and somewhat expensive to manufacture. Mm -hmm. It was also a way for European colonists to separate themselves from the local food in the country they were occupying, food they often viewed as unsanitary and very heavy. Quotes. Yes um a similar story with canned sardines has taken place in a handful of Asian countries including the Philippines where one local company uh, producing canned sardines started offering innovations like easy open cans and pouches in the 2000s which I want to mm. return to and talk to I'll talk more about later
0: oh oh absolutely
1: yes. Um, Going back to Malaysia, by the 1930s, tin sardines had become a staple food as the manufacturing of them rose and the price dropped. According to one report, about 20% of all canned sardines exported from California ended up in Malaysia at one time and more on California's industry in a second. Um, Sardines were viewed as a good source of protein and people liked the taste. Sardine sandwiches were popular by the 1970s and 80s, made with other local ingredients. So while the brand may have been introduced by this French guy, uh, Malaysia has definitely made it their own. Um, Oh, yeah. Also of note, this is but one story. Local companies offer sardines, too. Um, But it was a really interesting article about that. And also, listeners, if you've got more information.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Personal experience. Always welcome. Mm Mm-hmm. This is sort
1: of outside the scope of this podcast, but briefly, after World War I and the global Spanish flu pandemic that killed over 50 million people, the International Olympic Committee put on the 1920 Summer Olympics in Belgium, uh, marketing it as a way to unify in the aftermath of those events. Underfunded and stretched, Belgium tried to provide accommodations and food for the athletes, but they struggled. And athletes describe breakfasts of a roll, coffee, and quote, one little sardine. Stepping back a bit, America's East Coast had a handful of sardine canneries too, particularly Maine. George Burham kickstarted the sardine canneries in that state, and by some accounts, in all of the U- US, in 1867, allegedly after a visit to France and seeing their sardine canning industry. In the early 1900s, Maine had 89 canneries employing 8,000 people. Many of the Packers uh, were women. And that's also an interesting thread that I found. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yes. Oh, and here's some, some of the legalese we've teased.
0: Oh, yes. You know The we most love... exciting part.
1: <laughs> you know we love some legalese. <laughs> <laughs> The British Board of Trade enacted a policy in 1929 that forbade any fish that was not taxonomically a sardine from being labeled as sardines, pretty much excluding sardines, so confusing, from North America that came from North America, Mm -hmm. to improve—this was a whole thing, but— As part of this, to improve the reputation of sardines in Maine, a few commissions were introduced over the decades to do spot quality checks, amongst other things. Because I feel like, from what I read in these articles, sardines from Europe and, I guess, not North America had a much better reputation.
0: Ah, So they were trying to be
1: like... They were like,
0: don't call your product that is also... (laughs) <laughs> Basically, a sardine, a sardine, when we want to make sure that we're selling our product. Thank you very much. Indeed.
1: Uh, but, I mean, on the other hand, there was another lawsuit around this time uh, that led to Norway starting to label their products as smoked herring because they couldn't call it sardines either anymore. Yeah. Um, yes. Legally, man.
0: Who? Who? Indeed. A whole sardine situation. It is. A whole situation.
1: <laughs> oh, speaking of situations, okay. Canned sardines saw a real boom in canneries along the western U.S. coast in the early 20th century. And these sardines fed millions of soldiers overseas and thousands of workers, many of them immigrants, working along or near Cannery Row in Monterey, California. During the 30s and 40s, California boasted the largest sardine fishery in the Western Hemisphere, and fishermen pulled in 726,000 tons in peak season from 1936 to 1937. So a lot. Everything looking good, looking good. In 1945, John Steinbeck published the novel Cannery Row, and in the 1949 film Kiss in the Dark, a stylish model serves a sandwich of sardines and peanut butter. Um... The point of including this as and she was supposed to be like really stylish. This was, a, you know, upper class food. Yeah,
0: this was like, oh, goodness. Mm-hmm.
1: At the time, Americans were going through about 3.8 million cases of sardines annually. But by the 1950s, the sardine population in that area had decreased dramatically. Cannery Row was largely abandoned and the sardine industry had pretty much collapsed. Historians looking into this have offered a couple of reasons for why all this happened. The main one is overfishing. Beginning in the 1930s, sardines not only were being canned, but also ground up for animal feed and used in products like glue and paint and industrially. Um, And that, coupled with demand for the canned stuff, put a massive dent in the population. Mm -hmm. More recently... And I love this. Oh, yeah. This is interesting. Specimens of old seaweed further explain the drop of the sardine population off the American West Coast, um, providing evidence of cycles of ocean upwelling. Okay.
0: This is great. Yes. So basically,
1: this is when nutrient waters from the deep rise up to impart nutrients to more nutrient-depleted, shallower waters. Using this ancient seaweed, scientists uncovered a dramatic decrease in
0: upwelling that corresponded to the decline of the sardine population. Yeah, and and upwelling has to do with a with a bunch of different factors, um, uh, from from rainfall to uh, to ecological systems to all all sorts of things, but. Um, yeah. I will also note here that similar declines in sardine populations were happening all over the world in the mid-1900s through the early 2000s. Um, just for one example, the, the Southern African catches peaked in the 1960s and then busted, like, immediately. Um, like, fishers switched to anchovies, and stock of sardines there has never really recovered.
1: And on top of that, canned sardines were frequently regarded as foods for the poor or as a food of necessity. Especially here in the U.S. Especially here in the U.S., thank you. Um, Most believed that sardines was something eaten straight from the can, cold, and maybe they found the skin and bones off-putting. The availability of refrigerators for the average American didn't help either, because now you could get frozen fish or fresh Mm fish. Mm -hmm. And then... (laughs) Enter tuna.
0: Dun dun dun, dun. Thank
1: you. <laughs> in in the wake of the wide scale collapse of the canned sardine industry, many fishers, producers, and customers pivoted towards canned tuna instead, and in the absence of the sardine, it really solidified tuna's reputation as the superior canned fish wholesome and without bones great for the whole family a huge marketing campaign for tuna helped it surpass sardines too so it's like sardines are down for the count tuna comes in is like oh uh, yeah i'll just (laughs) take your place and really trash talk you while you're gone (laughs) (laughs) Mm mm-hmm From 1967 to 1986, intense restrictions and moratoriums around sardine fishing were enacted and enforced in the U.S., allowing for the sardine population to replenish. However, uh, sardines had largely fallen out of vogue in America with most preferring tuna. Maine's last cannery, and the last in the U.S., from what I gathered, uh, closed in 2010. Still, Officials in Monterey expressed concern that the numbers were once again reaching overfishing territory in 2019.
0: Yeah, and over on the other coast, Pacific sardines are under population management right now. Um, commercial fishing of, of them was closed as of 2015 and has not reopened yet.
1: Yeah, and the Monterey one, um, they had to. they were going to monitor again in 2020, but then the pandemic happened. And as far as I know, oh, they haven't. Okay. They haven't been able to complete that um, survey, but perhaps we'll see some updates around that soon. Yeah. Uh, Especially because sardines are experiencing a comeback here in the U.S., uh, particularly the fresh variety. Um, They are also more commonly being used to feed tuna. I saw a couple of articles about this. Mm
0: -hmm. The
1: belief being a diet of sardines improves the taste of tuna, which is kind of interesting given the history we just talked about. Yeah. Yep. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. In recent years, Portugal's canned fish industry has bounced back, too, producing about the rate they were at their peak, but with far fewer canneries due to improvements in technologies. Um, sardines have also been really growing in popularity in places like Japan, and I would love if people could write in about that, because like, yeah. all the articles I tried to read were behind a paywall. So. Oh, okay. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I would love more
0: information. Um, there, uh, There was a really interestingly well-studied ecological boom and bust in sardines in the Indian Ocean from 2012 through 2015. Like 2012 had this like wild peak um, and then was down to like 10% of former numbers by 2015, um, which was so destructive for the livelihoods of um, these small business fishers, which is terrible. Um, But on the Plus side, um, we're living in an age now where we were able to, not like us, but you know, like people in the industry, um, we're able to study factors um, from rainfall and upwelling to monsoons and ocean temperatures to populations of both food and predators to technology advances that have allowed for more thorough catches. Um, and combine all of that data into advice for the future on how to watch for um, watch for potential natural dips in populations and prevent overfishing during those times. Yeah. Very
1: important. Yeah.
0: Information. Um, And then I just wanted to include
1: this because I hadn't heard of it and I thought it was interesting. Um, Somewhere around the end of 2019, a group of Italians came together to oppose populist figure Matteo Salvini while promoting human rights and respect for migrants. They packed into a piazza for a flash mob, earning them the name Sardines and spurning on this movement across the whole country. Again, we're huh. a food show. I know it's ongoing, but uh, I did want to mention it because that was interesting to me.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Sardines. yeah. Sardines. Sardines. <laughs> we went all over the place. <laughs> Yes, but still oh, not to a coast where
1: we can eat good. sardines, <laughs> <No>. Lauren.
0: <laughs> oh, I I hope I hope that, that that you'll forgive me for suggesting such an all over the place um, uh, outline. But but I I think this one's a lot of fun and right, and I'm really excited about going down all of these little rabbit holes in the future. As am I. It was a it was a fun one. It was a little overwhelming, but
1: don't apologize, Lord.
0: It was it was good. Um, and
1: I, I trust the good listeners will let us know if there's any particular rabbit hole you really want us to pursue.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Tell us. Yes, uh, but in the meantime, I think this is what we have to say about sardines for now.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, we do have some listener mail prepared for you, though, and we will get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Visit Pronamel.com.
0: For just being
4: me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor.
0: Yes, thank you. And we're back with... Fish face. (laughs) Well,
1: that was ridiculous. Thank you. I was trying to do the Spongebob one. They do a, anyway, you haven't seen it, so it doesn't
0: matter. I still haven't.
1: It. It's okay. <laughs> but I, that's what I was trying to accomplish, and I knew you wouldn't get it, so I was like, well, I can do a more generic okay. version of that. <laughs> um, I hope everyone will forgive me for what just happened. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. <laughs> okay. hmm mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> Danielle wrote about our green bean episode. Uh, So, I'm still looking for my grandma's tomato soup cake recipe. (sighs) My sister won't give it up. But to the beans! Growing up here in New Jersey in the 80s, I was lucky enough to have known my great-grandparents. My great-grandpa moved to Hoboken from San Marco, Italy in the early 1900s with his brother. They were farmers back in Italy, and according to my grandmother, they had more than enough food during the Depression. My great-grandpa died when I was seven or eight, so I was really little, but I remember walking from my grandma's house in Jersey City to their house just up the street and going down a skinny alleyway and into the large room gate with a fancy latch on it. Once the gate opened, it was literally like the secret garden. Oh. A large arch held a beautiful grapevine with the most disgusting grapes I've ever eaten. (laughs) They were used to make grape juice, a.k.a. wine that he'd make in the basement, and a small garden with neat little rows of every vegetable you could think of. The two I remember most vividly are basil, probably because every time I smell it, I get transported back into that garden, and green beans, mostly because I was a picky eater and those were one of the veggies I'd devour. Something my grandmother continued to make after her parents died was a green bean salad, which I know the recipe for because we made it together a bunch of times before she passed away. So here's the recipe. Step one, snap your beans. Step two, cook them until they are fork tender. Step three, add good quality red wine vinegar and olive oil. She'd only use Bertolli olive oil. She was extremely picky. Step four, add about as much fresh garlic as you can stand. (laughs) Step five, refrigerate for 24 hours. It needs to marinate. Mm. A few years ago, I went to a barbecue at my sister-in-law's house. She also was very smart and married an Italian. (laughs) His mom had brought green bean salad. I put some on my plate and hesitantly took a bite, expecting it to not taste like what I am used to, but it tasted exactly the same. We found out that our families are from nearby regions, and his mom offered to show me how to make fresh pasta, as that was one thing my grandmother stopped doing once the 14 grandkids started coming around. We still haven't learned yet, but I have been watching TikTok and YouTube videos, but I'm still nervous to try myself. Anyway, thanks for covering my favorite vegetable. P.S. Where is my Taylor Ham episode? It's not called pork roll. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Yes, I believe uh, you.
0: <laughs> I've been intimidated by the Taylor Ham slash pork roll episode uh, in the same way that you are intimidated by fresh pasta. Um, <laughs> I I'm just like, oh, I don't know, I don't know about that one. It. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It sounds controversial. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of
1: exclamation points and question marks in there. Uh, Yeah. We'll do it. I want to know more. Um, Danielle also gave us a how to order Forever in New Jersey. And it was like, don't take any pauses in between words. So thank you. Um,
0: Thank you. Yeah. 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 No, I have. Yes. I've witnessed this myself. It's
1: very. Uh
0: They do not have time to waste. Be direct. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my
1: gosh. I'm already, like, crumpling under the anxiety. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, as a
0: Southerner now, like, now I am a Southerner, and I'm like, oh, I can't get a sentence out in (laughs) less than seven minutes. Like, what are you talking about? Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Uh, And also, this (laughs) recipe sounds great to me. It sounds so fresh and
0: delightful. Oh, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. I... That is, I always kind of like I. I forget how much I love a, a good vegetable salad. Yeah, especially if it's like in the summer, nice and fresh. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah.
1: <sighs> mm-hmm. Heck. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Oh, and fresh basil is like the nicest smell on the entire planet. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Nice little secret garden. Yeah. Sounds lovely. Oh heck. Mm-hmm. Um. Heidi wrote. Back in April, I tried to listen to the There Is No Spoon episode while I was driving around, and it wouldn't load. So I tried to get it home, and it still wouldn't load, and then it hit me. Duh, it's in the title. There's not actually an episode about spoons, and they made this fake episode show up in my feed somehow as a joke. How delightfully meta! Fast forward to now, and people are writing in about spoons. It really sounds like there was a conversation that I missed, but yet the episode will not load on my phone even now. So I ask you, is there or is there not an episode about spoons? If there is, I'll have to find another podcast app or something to be able to listen to it. Thanks in advance for clearing this up, and I thought you would enjoy the story in any case. Oh, no. No, we're not that clever. (laughs) We aren't. But wouldn't it be like, can you imagine if we had the depth
1: (laughs) and diabolicalness to be like, not only will there not be a Spoon episode, we'll read
0: some fake (laughs) listener mail. And then. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. That is that is I don't I do not have the brain power to go that far. (laughs) I y'all should know right now that I will never be that (laughs) Trixie. Because I'm
1: tired. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can only do that every now and then in D&D. Every now and then. Oh, Um, oh, that's true. That's true. But then I have time to, like, really think about it. Sure. I do enjoy that it happened to be that episode episode and that title. That is...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, uh, w- whenever, w- whenever we get, um, uh, a, a listener write in and say that they're having problems playing one specific episode, um, uh, the general advice, uh, is always like, try, try like deleting it and redownloading, um, or yeah, try it on another app or, um, let us know what platform it is and we can try to troubleshoot with, um, our production team. Um, so, uh, so yeah, try those steps. Let us know if it still doesn't work. Um, and we will, I, I don't, maybe, maybe like the, the, the internet, um, the internet is just messing with us. Maybe. Yeah.
1: Maybe there is no episode. We did record one. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the listeners are pranking us. Lauren. Oh no. Uh, now I'm full of doubt. <laughs>
0: How quickly the tables have turned! Well, you've 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 raised more questions than we've been able to answer. I think
1: we've been played, Lauren. Um, (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, let us know. Continue messing with us, or we'll help you. I'm not sure what's the case anymore. Um, (laughs) Yes, Uh, and thanks to both of those listeners for writing you would like to write it to us, you can or email us hello at saverpod.com
0: We're also on social media you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at saverpod and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows probably, unless it's this one particular episode. Thanks as always to our super producers Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended
1: brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash.
0: Visit pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico.
1: Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it.
0: When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport
1: required for US citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.